A reading from Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 29. He also said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your goodness and your grace and your mercy. God, we ask for your spirit to be here with us today. God, it's not by might nor by power, but by your spirit, O Lord. God, we ask for your presence to be here, your kindness, your peace, your love. God, we trust in you. We give this entire service to you as an offering our meager attempt to respond to who you are. We ask for your mercy and your grace to invade this service. We surrender all that we have, all that we are. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So I want to put a picture on the screen, and I'm going to do something a little bit different. Normally, I'm the one who just stands here and talks, but I want you guys to talk back for just a moment. So I have a picture on the screen, and it may be a little hard to see with all the lights and glare and all of that, but I, I want to hear from you guys. What do you see in this picture? Maybe a couple of you can yell it out. See a farm field? Okay. What? Clouds? Yeah. Sky? Water? Sure. Okay. Mountains? All right, you guys all, you passed the test. I'm not going to put up like the, now the different one up there like Emily did last week. We're not going to do the spot the difference game this week. Uh, but yeah, you guys were all right. But there's also something that's not there. See, this picture shows us what's there in the natural, but there's something that's going to come from this picture. Ultimately, this field doesn't look like much right now, but it's been cultivated. It's been plowed. It's been gotten ready for something more. It has the potential to be a great harvest. You know, in the same way, our prospects for revival and awakening often look meager. They look like they're just, you know, kind of there, but not really there. It looks like a field that's been cultivated a little bit, but nothing's sprouting up. Nothing is growing quite yet. But I think if we'll respond to God, if we'll respond to his call to sow seeds, he's faithful to provide growth. He's faithful to turn the barren field into this vast harvest. But this requires us to have a bit of an imagination, right? Because when we look at this picture, we just see what we see. We, we see what's naturally there, but we need a redemptive imagination, so that we can ultimately see not just what is there in the natural, but what could be there. What God could do with what's in the world around us. We need a redemptive imagination to respond to who God is. To respond to his call to be faithful. To trust him, right? To trust him when it's difficult to trust him. To trust him when we don't see him moving. 
and ultimately prepare for what God is going to do. Having faith that he is the God who is still moving, the God who is still working, the God who is still at work in our world today. As we look at our parable today, what we're going to find is Jesus inviting us into this, inviting us into this story. He's calling us to respond to his kingdom vision, to have this kingdom imagination, to participate in his kingdom, to trust that he is working, and to ultimately respond to what he does. But we have to have eyes to see. We have to look to God for who he is, not who we want him to be, but for who he ultimately is, and see what he can do with our barren field. Because he can do mighty things. He can do great things. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and dive in. We're going to be looking at this verse by verse as we go through this parable. And the first thing that I want to point out is that God has called us to faithfulness. And we're going to look at verse 26 to see this. This is Jesus speaking to the crowds. And he says, he also said, Jesus, this is what the kingdom of God is like a man scatters seed on the ground. That's where we're we're starting today. Jesus is again talking to the crowd. We've been in Mark 4 for the last several weeks when I've been up here, and we're seeing Jesus give yet another parable. And he's speaking to the crowd of people, and he's saying, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the on the ground. And unlike the earlier parable where the person scattering seed was God, this time he's talking about us. He's talking about his disciples, those are his, who are his followers. A man scatters seed on the ground. And here's the most ridiculous thing about the Christian story. God, who is perfect, who has all the answers, who sees everything in the world, and us, who are fallen and dumb and just keep doing things wrong and wrong and wrong, God, in his infinite wisdom, has chosen man to be a part of his redemptive plan. Right. Crazy. It doesn't make sense, but this is what God has done. He has chosen us to have a role in his purposes in the world. God didn't save you so that you can sit on the sidelines but be redeemed. He saved you from sin and for mission. If you are a Christian, you are saved from something and you are saved for something. God didn't save you to be like, okay, you're good, sit over there, and now let me just work out everything else over here on my own. God calls us to participate in his kingdom, to move where he is moving, to follow the pillar of fire by night, the cloud by day, to see where he is working and moving, to respond to what God is doing. You and I need to recognize the need to plant seeds. We need to recognize that there is a need to sow gospel seeds. We need to be people who are bent towards seeing the potential for harvest. Not just looking at the picture and seeing the barren land that's farmland that maybe one day could be something if we put in a lot of hard work, but ultimately being people who are bent towards redemption, who have a vision for harvest, even when everything looks barren, even when things look dry, even when things look like nothing is going to change. As Christians, we're people who are marked by redemption. 
It's literally inside of us. If we have been redeemed by God, if we have, if we have responded to his grace and his mercy and his love, then we are people of redemption. God has redeemed us. And as redeemed people, we should see the potential for redemption even in the darkest of souls. Even in the darkest of souls. And it's not about just seeing the potential, being like, yeah, you know, God can maybe do something. It's to respond to that and actually go scatter seeds. To actually take the good news of, a, of the gospel to a world that needs it. Not just being like, yeah, you know, someone should do something about that. You guys ever got that before? Like, you know, someone really should solve that problem. And anytime we feel that, the Lord's like, hey, go, make disciples, baptize them. Teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. You're those who have a visions of God's love and mercy and grace will be captivated by the one who gives such things, who gives mercy and love and grace and actually respond and go and share the gospel to those around them. I think oftentimes we have enough vision of who God is just to save us, but not enough vision of who God is to be active in his kingdom. God desires to do something in your life, not to just forgive you of your sins, but to awaken something within you. Awaken the kingdom purpose that he desires for every person in the world to be a participant in his kingdom. Again, not to sit on the sidelines in the bleachers saying, go team, go. But to be actively participating in God's kingdom. And I want to take us to 2 Corinthians 5. And I, I often take us to this passage and it's because I want it to get inside of us. It's one of those passages that are a visionary passage for us as a church. And I want to read verses 14 through 21 again. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced, convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you, implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is one of those passages that should just like fire us up where we just like jump out of our seats, go glory to God, hallelujah, amen. 
He didn't jump, but, you know, we'll, we'll take it. This is what God has done for us. It's who our God is. As we immerse ourselves in passages like this, as we continually go into God's Word, we begin to develop this type of vision. A vision of who our God is and what His purposes are in the world. That He's not just a God off in the sky who's not interested in the world, but He's a God who earnestly desires the salvation of all people. And that He's made a way for that to happen. Like as we read this, it should also remind us of what God has done for us. Let's let's take away the picture of what God is doing in the world, although that's very important. And let's just stop for a second to remember what God has done for you and for me. Because you and I were dead in our trespasses. There was no righteousness within us. Even our, our best days were like filthy rags to God. And each of us has the image of those things that we've done. The things that we would be embarrassed to have them all go up on the screen right now. And God knew all of those things. And he looks at us and he doesn't say, sinner, be gone. He says, I love you. Be forgiven. This is what our God has done for us. He's made a way where there isn't away. He's redeemed us and reconciled us and loved us when we were his enemies. When we were his enemies, he died for us. And as we understand this, as we gain an understanding of what God has done for us, it should transform our hearts. It should make something new within us. If we want to reach the world, if we want to see our vision become a reality, then we need to understand God. We need to understand his love for us and also the potential of his love for others. Not that that his love is out there that he may love someone or not, but the potential for what his love can do in someone. If God can do it for me, he can do it for anyone. Amen? Amen? If God can transform this heart, he can transform their heart. We need to have an understanding of God that he desires to see the lost saved. He desires to see the saved equipped and the equipped sent. What we need to do is we need to seek God for kingdom imagination. A sanctified imagination that that sees what can be. That sees what God is ultimately doing in the world. This imagination that we develop that's kingdom-oriented is bent towards redemption. Bent towards the potential of God's love invading the world. What could be? And we develop this by experiencing his grace for ourselves. Because that grace is weighty. And when it weighs upon our hearts, it changes us. Have you guys ever heard the phrase, hurt people hurt people? Loved people love people. As we've experienced God, truly experienced Him, 
Like, realize how good his grace is, how wonderful his mercy is, how vast his love is for us. It should spill out of us to the world around us. It should spill out of us. We should respond to God's calling to go scatter seeds, not saying, okay, sure, Jesus, twist my arm. Instead, saying, yes, I'll go and scatter seeds because if God can redeem me, he can redeem them. He can redeem the world. But I've got good news for us as well this morning. It's not all on us. That's where you also say amen. We have an invitation to trust God in his providence. So let's look at the next two verses. Night and day, whether the sower sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. While God has called us to sow seeds, he is the one that provides the growth. We're to sow seeds, we're to respond to what God has done, but he's the one that actually provides the growth. And I love how Jesus says that the sower doesn't know how the growth happens. And I think that's really good news for us. Because we don't have to understand it all. We don't have to say, well, I have to do this, and then this, and then this, and then that's the recipe for revival and the world will be redeemed. And if I don't do it exactly like that, it's not going to happen. This is good news for us that as we see the sower going out, as he's responding to God's love, as he sows the seed of the gospel, he doesn't know how it grows. See, God takes our little offerings, our sloppy obedience, and he does something with us. When we understand these two verses, it's permission for us to actually crucify the unbiblical notion that everything depends on us. And this is something that we struggle with as humans. Like, we have to do it all. Everything depends upon me, and I have to do everything right. It's false. It's not true. God calls us to be faithful, but he is the one who works. He calls us to do work. He says to be doers of the word, to be rich in good deeds, But at the same time, he calls us to rest. Rest in knowing that the weight of the world isn't on our shoulders. It's not upon us. God is at work. Yes, we work. Yes, we respond to what God is doing. But that's just an offering. It's an offering where we say, God, I'm going to respond to your goodness. I'm going to respond to your love. Here, take this. Do something with it because I know I can't produce growth on my own. I know I can't produce fruits on my own. And the good news that I have for us is that God is working even when we can't see it. He's working even when we can't see it. There's a portion of this little parable that I love. It says basically that even when we stay in bed, God is at work. Whether the farmer gets up or he sleeps, God provides the growth. He is working even when we can't see it. Even when we choose to sleep that extra hour and a half, which I really wanted to do this morning. 
He's always at work. We can rest in knowing that God is on the throne and that he's working things out according to his purposes, to what he desires to see. And guess what? His purposes, they're bent towards redemption. They're bent to renewal. They're bent towards recreation of the world. And what this means for us is that while things may seem difficult at times, while things may, may seem like nothing is going on, like, God, shouldn't there be something happening? Shouldn't I be able to see it and observe it? Because what I'm seeing doesn't look like redemption. What I'm seeing doesn't look like new creation. What I'm seeing looks like difficulty and pain and trials. And maybe I'm getting a little fed up. But that's an invitation to give God control. And that's Peter Allen sure. That's not profound. God is always at work, always moving. When it seems like our world is going in the wrong direction, we can trust that God is moving, that he is working, that even when we can't see it, even when it looks like the world is asleep at the will, God is moving. I couldn't verify the source of this quote, but I found it helpful this week, and I want to share it with you. It says, God's providence is like the sun. It's always shining even behind the clouds of uncertainty. Even when it's stormy, even when the sky is black, the sun is still shining. It may be hidden from our view, but it's not hidden from God's view. God is always moving. He's always working. We have to understand that, yes, we live in a fallen, broken world, and that sin has invaded every part of creation. And because of that, at times, it can seem like God isn't at work, but he is. He's working in spite of what we may see. And what we have to do, you and I, is we have to trust God. And it's not just this sort of blind trust where it's just like, okay, God, you know, whatever. It's trusting God based off his revealed word to us. Trusting what he has spoken is true. We have to trust that our God is a God who desires to see the world made new. That he's a God who desires redemption. He's a God who desires salvation and that he will produce a harvest. That he will take our meager offerings and produce something great. Everything in Scripture, the entire Bible tells us about a God who is a God of redemption. Anywhere we open throughout Scripture, we see a God that is a redeemer. He is the Savior and Redeemer of the world. He is the compassionate and gracious God who seeks and saves the lost. He is the one who doesn't go to the healthy but to the sick. He's the good shepherd who leaves the 99 to chase after the one stubborn sheep. And praise God because I'm the one stubborn sheep. It's who our God is. And we have to trust this. We have to trust that this is who our God is and allow that to inform our worldview. Not to be pessimist and doom and gloom and be like, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. Be like, no, our God is at work. 
Our God is seeking and saving the lost. Our God is still moving. He is still working. He's still redeeming. He's still revealing himself. Our God is on the move. Not to be eternal pessimists. God is moving. And if we get nothing else out of this sermon today, I hope we get that. That we can trust him that he's moving. And I want to go back to the parable for a moment. Is as Jesus gives us this parable, it's four short verses, but there's a long, long amount of time that's happening, right? We have a farmer sowing seed, we see some sprouts come up, and eventually we see the full grain coming up. And for us, that's like three seconds of reading it. But in reality, that's a long process. And you and I, we're not great at long processes. We're not patient people. We're terrible at waiting. I mean, if like the Chick-fil-A line is like three cars too long, then, you know, it's not good for my soul. Terrible at waiting, even for the Christian chicken. Sorry. There's a reason that the psalmist invites us to be still and know that I am God. Because as humans, we don't do good at that. As humans, we're like the J.G. Wentworth commercial. It's my money and I need it now. Sorry, you guys got a jingle in your head for the rest of the sermon. It was in my head as, as I was preparing this morning, so you're welcome. Thankfully, our God is more patient than we are. He doesn't give up because things are taking a little bit longer. He doesn't give up when we run in the opposite direction. He doesn't give up when we fail and we fail and we fail. He is patient. He endures to a harvest. And we need to develop a little bit of that. And ironically, it takes patience to develop that. We're not to be curmudgeonly about the world, about what we see and what we hear. It's to trust in a God of grace, a God who is at work, believing that he is indeed working all things out for his good. We have to learn to allow him to transform us. And as we wait, slowly and surely, he transforms our hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. We begin to see that kingdom imagination throughout the world. We begin to see where God is working because he rehabituates us. He reforms our habits. He reforms what the inputs are into our life so that we begin to see not just all the bad that's happening, but we begin to see signposts of redemption. Little pictures of where God is working here and there and everywhere else. As we learn to trust in God's providence, we begin to see him moving, and then there's still something he calls us to do. He calls us to respond. The third thing that we see through this parable is that we must prepare for a harvest. Let's look at the final verse here in verse 29. As soon as the grain is ripe, the sower puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. So in this parable, we see a sower in the very beginning going out and sowing seeds. 
And then we see the sower trusting in the things that God has ordained to make that seed grow into something. And now we see the sower once again preparing for a harvest. There's two things I want us to ultimately see in this last verse. I want us to see expectancy and I want us to see planning. The first thing is being expectant. We must be expectant that God is going to fulfill his purposes, that he is going to move. It's not like this faith where it's like, yeah, God could do that. It's an expectancy that God will do that, that in our day we will see the world transformed. We will see a new revival. We will see a new awakening. It's an expectancy that God will have his way. And not just this expectancy where, yeah, God's going to do it, God's going to do it, but that he's going to use us in that. That he's calling us to jump back in. God has said that if we sow seeds, they will produce a harvest. And so we have to expect that a harvest is actually coming. We have to allow what we know about God shape what we do. There's this wonderful quote from G.K. Chesterton that I heard like three times this week, so that's usually when the Lord's like, share that with the people. There's this wonderful quote from Chesterton where he's talking about uh, God's moving in the midst of really what we're talking about, in the midst of darkness, in the midst of difficulty, when we don't see him at work. This is what Chesterton says. He says, Christianity has died many times and risen again. In other words, there have been these dark moments where Christianity's in decline, where nothing seems hopeful, and then all of a sudden revival and awakening comes forth. It's how history works. You can look through the, 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 the long portion of history and see ups and downs. You can see death and you can see renewal. And this is what Chesterton says. Christianity has died many times and risen again, for it had a God who knew the way out of the grave. For it had a God that knew how to get out of the grave. As we look around, as we see decline at times, we can have hope because even when Jesus is there on the cross, he's breathed his final breath, and all the disciples are saying, well, we bet on the wrong horse. Jesus springs out of the grave again. He, he rises anew. He's like a phoenix from the ashes. God's kingdom experiment, his kingdom imperative will not fail. It won't fail. And that's great source of hope for us. God will achieve what he has set out to achieve. To achieve. Our God is a miracle-working God. Okay, do you guys believe that? Our God is a miracle-working God. He's a dead-raising God. He's a redemptive God, a God who loves, a God who makes ways when there is no way. It's foolish for us to limit God. It's silly for us, for us to limit God. To say, yeah, you know, I know God can work and he's done it in the past, but this time, there's no way that God can work here. Like, what? God is who he is. He does not change. He is always a God of redemption, a God of resurrection, a God who moves when things look dark. We have to expect that he will continue to move. 
And then we must also plan, right? Because the sower had to have a plan. He had to realize that there was a harvest coming, and then he had to, to, to plan for it. It's been said that a failure to plan is planning to fail. The farmer who's there, he's like, okay, I'm going to go out and I'm going to collect all the grain, and then wait, I don't have anywhere to put it. I don't have any recipes for this grain. It's not what the farmer does. He's planning. He's prepared. He's ready for something to happen, and he's doing that. I saw this, this funny video of a pastor before, and he gives an altar call. And I've been there. He gives an altar call, and no one comes up. And he's just sitting there, and he's just praying, because that's what we pastors do. We just close our eyes, and we're like, I'm going to look real spiritual here, because I know God is moving, even though I don't see any evidence of God moving. And then someone comes up, and the pastor jumps, because he wasn't expecting it. He wasn't expecting someone to actually come up. He had given the altar call. He had a little bit of faith for an altar call, and then nothing happens. And then finally, someone comes up and he jumps. And he's scared. He's not ready for it. We can do that a lot with God. We're like, okay, God, I got a little bit of faith here, and I'm going to give it to you. But God is a God who works. We should expect him to work. We should plan for him to work. In our church specifically, we're seeing God move and build his church, and it's a wonderful thing. This church is not the same that it was a year and a half ago, and we praise God for that. We praise God that he is moving and at work in our community. We see that he's continually bringing more and more people in, that he's changing lives. He's awakening people to the reality of the goodness and love of his son. But we have to plan for what he's continuing to do. And we see that God is working and that he's drawing people in. We're seeing harvest begin to happen, especially with families, with young children. And so we look around and we see our building as something we need to plan for. And so as a leadership team, we're, we're leaning into that. We feel like we're getting some direction and vision from God on how to plan for the days ahead. It's us responding and having expectancy to what God is doing. But it's not just about physical space. It's not just about storing grain. It's figuring out what to do with it as well. And so we're building additional ideas on how it looks to go from this idea of converts or people in seats to discipleship, to people being sent out, people going to the ends of the earth. Of the, of the earth. That was earth and world together, worth. Corporately as a church, because we're sowing seeds, because we're planting gospel seeds, we're trusting God. Trusting God to do something with those seeds, to provide growth, to provide a harvest. And we're looking to where God is already moving, what he's already revealing, and we're expecting more and planning based off that. That's what we're doing corporately as a church that you guys are all a part of. But individually, there's calling in this as well. Individually, there's calling for us to respond to this parable. There's a call from Jesus for us to sow seeds of the gospel. It's in our families, among our friends, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces. God is calling us to sow gospel seeds to respond to what he's already done in us. 
And not out of guilt or obligation, but out of this overwhelming sense of love to go and share the good news of Jesus. That's one of the ways that we are to respond here. God's also calling us to trust in him. To remember that while he's called us to go scatter seeds, that it's ultimately on him to provide the growth. And we give him just our little offering, open-handed to God and say, God, take this meager offering and do something with it. I trust that you are working. I trust that you are moving. And then the final thing that it's calling us to individually is to orient our lives towards a harvest. In our world today, we're very self-centered, self-focused. But God has called us to be people of the kingdom, to have a different focus, to be bent towards redemption, to be bent towards his kingdom imperative. And so that's like vague language, right? Like, okay, he's called me to sow seeds, to trust in him, and to ultimately make my life a part of God's kingdom. Okay, sure. I want to give you one very practical challenge. One very practical way to sow seeds. So one month from now, we have Church at the Beach. And this is one of our, our big outreach events of the year where we move outside the four walls of the church and we have our church service uh, down at the Plattsburgh City Beach. We have a you know, nice covered stage there and we have all kinds of fun throughout the afternoon and, and food and games and all that sort of thing. But we have the, the morning service to share the gospel plant seeds through hospitality throughout the rest of the day. And I want to encourage you and challenge you and provoke you maybe even a little to sow six seeds. Like that doesn't seem like too many, I don't think. Like if you think like there's my neighbor on that side, my neighbor on that side, my neighbor over there, that's three already. And I'm sure you can think of three other people. And so as you leave today, you'll see these invite cards. They're on a table out by the Next Step Center on the entryway, and I encourage you to grab these. There are six cards in each of these bundles, and I encourage you to sow these as seeds, to tell people about the good news of Jesus. And even if you're like, I'm scared even thinking about that, that's okay. Because God uses our sloppy obedience. So that's your, your practical thing. Will you stand with me as we pray? Father, we thank you that you are a God who is moving in our world. A God who is at work even when we can't see you. Even when things look dark, even when things don't look like they're going the right way, we know that you are moving. We know that the sun is still shining. God, help us to trust in you more and more. Now, this morning, remind us of your great love, your grace, and your mercy. Remind us of the redemption that we have in Jesus. Remind us that though we were dead in our trespasses, living as your enemies, you made a way that you took on flesh and blood. You lived the perfect life. That you, Jesus, died in our place upon the cross. 
that you took our sin upon you, that was nailed to the tree with you, that was buried in the ground with you, and it was left there. Remind us that you are the God who has overcome the grave. It's how we know that we can trust you. How we know that you are still at work despite what we see. Help us to remember that it was because of your love that you redeemed us. God, help us to surrender to you. To lay everything down at the foot of the cross. And we ask for you to transform our hearts and our minds. Speak to our souls this morning, O Lord. God, to the weary, give strength. To the fearful, give peace. To the anxious, give hope. Christ's name that we pray, amen.